And welcome to The Truth Will Not Be Silenced, the show that allows Black people to be seen, to be heard, and to be human. I'm your host, Melissa Woodfork White. In today's episode, we will talk with Dr. Bernita Mitchell. We'll discuss the controversial topic of sexual terrorism and to bring awareness of the trauma that needs to be shared, that allows us to be seen, to be heard, and to be human. As a Black professional woman with over 28 years in the workforce, I have personally experienced trauma because of the color of my skin. Sharing our stories allows us to be seen, to be heard, and to be human. There will be a special surprise at the end of the show. Be sure to listen all the way through for the details. Our guest today is Dr. Benita Mitchell. Dr. Mitchell is passionate, is passionate about women's issues. She is a mother, womanist theologian, global feminist, ordained minister, speaker, author, and the survival, the survivor of child sexual trauma. She has worked over 30 years serving diverse populations and is the founder and president of Healing Waters Global Inc., whose mission is to serve women and girls sexually violated and women living and affected by HIV AIDS. She graduated magnum cum laude from New Brunswick Theological Seminary. She also received a Master of Divinity from Princeton Theological Seminary and completed a Doctor of Ministry at United Theological Seminary. Dr. Mitchell is writing her first book, Sexual Terrorism, Women Trapped in Silence, Domination, Power, and Control, forthcoming in March 2022, which will be available on paperback and Kindle editions. She is the proud parent of two adult children. She is going to share with us about her forthcoming book and the importance, the importance, the importance of sexual terrorism. Hi, Dr. Mitchell. Thank you so Hi. much for joining us. Hi, Melissa. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate it. Thank you. We're going to go ahead and get right to it. Can you tell us about your forthcoming book, Sexual Terrorism, Women Trapped in Silence, Domination, Power, and Control? My book is um, exposes the global war that's being waged against women and girls. It's a war that's really not talked about only in terms of this episode happened and then that episode happened and then you know there's bad apples here. But what I've done in the book is I've connected the dots to show that this is a global pandemic and that in this country it is epidemic because it's, the, the statistics don't lie. And they really prove that we really have a serious problem that we're not addressing it correctly. One in three women globally is and will be sexually violated in her lifetime. That's a startling statistic. One in three girls in America before the age of 18 will be sexually violated. One in three American female soldiers will be sexually assaulted or have been sexually assaulted by a fellow serviceman. And they suffer four times as much PTSD than in combat. That in itself is, 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 is startling. It is, and, it is, it is very startling. Can you explain to us 
the definition, the history behind the term sexual terrorism? Sexual terrorism is a, it is a global war um, dominated by men uh, in this context. It's dominated by men and it's a way of, it's a type of femicide that murders and ravages their souls from the inside out. I call it, and I use the quote, um, survival centric. So I'm looking at the, the, the sexual terrorism as from a, a perspective of a survivor. Um, sexual terrorism, and it means that when you are a woman or a girl and you're walking down the street or you're on campus or you're going to your car from the laundromat or any of those situations where you're afraid, you're frightened and you're terrorized at the thought that you will be raped, molested and what I call sexual terrorism. Research so, shows that women automatically think that. Um, and then the, it's also terrorizing when you actually go through being sexually assaulted, being raped, being molested. You go through that. And then the third is when you actually have to disclose. Now you've got it. Now you have this, 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 this secret that this experience that is humiliating, right? That's shameful because we're talking about your body, mm -hmm. the sacredness of your body. And, and now you've got to tell someone that this happened to you. And, norm, and the, the, the story is that most women, it goes underreported because women are afraid to tell, right? Because they, they may not be believed, they're gonna be mm -hmm. uh, they're often retaliated against, right? Or nothing's gonna be done. I'm sorry? Or nothing's gonna be done if they do. Nothing's gonna be done. And also that they're gonna be re-traumatized. Mm -hmm. And we've seen, you don't really see that much on in the media about it, but I did watch um, the, um, uh, the gymnast, the Olympic gymnast, mm -hmm. that panel yes. with, with uh, Simone Boyles. That yes. is the first time, Melissa, that I've ever seen where survivors get a chance to say how it impacted them. Mm -hmm. No one asks that question. They don't. They just say, okay, it happened. And then some people say, get, it, get over with, you know, get it over with, or this happened and it was horrible. And okay. And then we move on. So the media doesn't do a good job of it. They mm -hmm. need to find, because what it, what was it that helped you survive? Yes, and that that needs to be told. Absolutely. And so this leads us into the next question: Why are you writing this book? Your reasons, inspiration. You've already gave us a tidbit about the importance. Okay. Well, what compelled me to write this book was three things. One, in nineteen ninety seven, uh, the documentary. Uh, Breaking the Silence, Rape in the Congo was shown on CNN and Anderson Cooper presented it. It was, it was produced by Lisa Jackson, who's also a survivor. Um, and as I'm watching women in the Congo, and these are young women all the way up to women who are in their 70s, who are gang raped, brutally gang raped uh, with knives and guns and, and glass and so forth, sharing their stories. And as I'm watching this, now I'm watching this as a survivor and as a woman and as a human being, and I'm enraged, I'm angry, and I'm grieving that they have gone through this. But what I, what the takeaway from it was also was was inspirational, because they had joy, they were laughing, you know, they had community among the women afterwards. And I'm like, how is that possible? We have a lot to learn from them. So then the second thing that compelled me to to do this work, uh, to to write this book, 
is my aunt, my great aunt. She uh, lived in Florida. She was a devout Christian. And there was a young man in the community who had been charged with rape. He did his time. He came out. And of course, no one wanted him around. But my auntie, who was 80 years old, independent, lived alone, uh, daughter lived down the street, but she invited him in. And Southern Black woman from Florida, from the South, she cooked for him. They had fellowship. And then he raped her. He tied her up and he set her on fire. But my aunt, yes. Just give me a moment. I'm just traumatized from the fact because I'm like, your, your aunt. Great aunt, yes. Your great aunt, 80 yeah. years old. Yes. Christian woman doing all of these good things. And that alone right there is traumatizing that he raped her and set her on fire. Yeah, tied her up and set her on fire. Um, she believed in Christian hospi uh, hospitality, right? That was a law in the, in the Old Testament. And so, but she lived to tell. And so my parents and I uh, drove down to see her again, inspired because this woman's body was burned two thirds of, over her body was burned from, but yet she made us laugh. She fed us, she talked. And I'm like, how is that possible? So I'm looking at the women in the Congo have joy. My great aunt is still has joy and is and able to tell her story. And then 10 years later, she's now 90 and we're told that she's in a nursing home and she's telling the story, but she's talking about how she forgave him. Mm. And that impacted me because at the point that I was in my journey, mm -hmm. I had not disclosed to the people that I needed to, to tell. Wow. And I certainly had not gotten to a place of forgiveness. And I certainly hadn't seen the, the joy we're not talking about happiness, right? Which is, they say happiness is a person, place, or thing. Looking forward to that. We're talking about joy, which comes from the inside. Mm -hmm. I wasn't there. I was still in secret and hiding. And so from those three stories, primarily, mm -hmm. really gave me, these women were courageous. The women in the Congo, yes. right? Yes. Auntie, courageous to be, have the courage to, and, and, and God blessed her to, that she was able to live. But having that courage, and then I wanted to know about that joy, how do you have joy after such a horrible experience? And that's what actually led me to do, to act, to start uh, Establish Healing Waters Global. So I could help other women to break their silence, tell their story and find joy. And in, in doing so, it started with me. Wow, thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, just, just listening, it was very difficult to listen to that just for me, what, what I'm experiencing right now, just listening to it. And you are so right that the news doesn't report this. If they do report it, they don't tell you unless the victim died or something. And so you want to know what happens afterwards. You want to know how yes. they survived, if they survived. And you yes. want to know... Um, how are they living if they are still living and how did they do it? And so that alone in itself is powerful. It's powerful. So continuing from that point, how has writing this book affected you? You already touched on it when you, when you had shared your, your experience and how you hadn't shared your experience, but then having heard 
the CNN story and then your own great aunt story, then that brought forth you to tell your story. So how has writing this book affected you? Well, writing the book, is, well, first of all, I did a lot of research after that. So I spent a lot of time researching and then working with women and men who, who are survivors. And so what happened was I was doing my, um, uh, well, there, there's a personal story of, of how I came to, and it came to this place. And for me, it was the day that, um, and this was, you know, I was 10 years old. This was my, my father. I'm the youngest of 10. Uh, five girls, five boys, uh, two parents that were married 63 years. And so here I am. Um, now, what do I do with in terms of my own story? So I was able to um, do a lot of work in the church that I had when I moved to North Carolina. And the work of forgiveness actually really grew in me. And I really began to understand it. Now, I have to say that I'm an anomaly because most of the, the women that I serve, they believe that God abandoned them. That's not my story because mm -hmm. as a 10 year old, I wanted, uh, I was isolated because the closest person to me is like eight years old, mm -hmm. eight years older. So I was by myself a lot with my little colored doll and my Jack and Jill books. And I prayed <laughs> and I asked God, okay, God, I need, I, I, it was twofold. I was asking God, cause I, I was tired of being alone. Nobody wanted to play with me. My twin brother, he didn't have time for me because he's a boy. Um, and I asked God, I, you know, I need some, I need someone. And then, of course, I'm going through this, this night child experience. And so um, God became my imaginary playmate. And so, like, yeah. And most survivors have, they talk about when you hear the word safe place, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm, I've got radar now for survivors, so I can, I can tell you right offhand. But that is one of the things, you go into a safe place, right? Because you've got this horrific experience, this terrorizing. I had my own safe place. And I write about that in the book. You can hear it's very poetic and very flowery, but God was there playing ring around the rosary. This is in my mind's eye. Wow. And he was playing, playing ring around the rosary until I fell and laughed on the ground and laughed, right? With, with this, this bulging laugh in my belly. You know, there's the sun, there's always water because I grew up near the water. So that was my little fantasy. That You could not tell me that I did not have a, a touch of heaven. Wow. Because it took me out of what I was in to a beautiful place where God was there. And again, most survivors don't, they don't always have that. It's mm -hmm. like, where were you, God? You abandoned me. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that. Which well, why, I didn't, did you, why did you allow this to happen to me? Why did you, exactly. But I, that's another reason why I think God called me to do this work because I knew that God was there for me throughout. That was never a doubt in my mind. And so as I, the journey is, you know, that I saw my father one day, this is how it happened. And when you say, how does this, this, the writing of the book affect you there was a lot of fear and um, i just got through um you know like a couple of years of okay this is going to go public my family i've disclosed it to them in the past didn't sit well and now we are talking about going public so that's happened and with this podcast <laughs> i'm gonna need you to have my back <laughs> Because I have, as a social work counselor, I kind of know what happens when people, we all know sometimes when it doesn't sit well with family. Yeah. So that's there. Yeah. But I've been praying about that and I have friends. Um, yeah, so, but my, the thing yeah. that's so important is that the forgiveness piece that my aunt, my great aunt, forgave, mm -hmm. that resonated in my spirit as a woman of faith. You know, I have to ask you, 
Yes. We know you've shared with us that our that your trauma happened happened at a young age and you were isolated and alone, which was the effect because your siblings were older. There was like this gap in age. And so you also shared that when you were able to hearing other story, especially your great aunt story. So how old were you, if you don't mind me asking, when you came to that? Sure. Um, I'm because sure. I think it's important for our listeners to know that, okay, you were a child when this happened. How long did it take you to get to that point? Well, I can tell you, I was silent for 40, nearly 40 years. Wow. That's how long I carried. That's why I'm and passionate about this work. Some people take it to the grave. That's right. And I'm like, no, if I know that you've gone through this, I'm going to do everything I can help you with so that you do not have to go 40 years yeah. before you disclose. That's, people got to understand how terrifying it is to disclose, right? I gave you the three examples. Yes, you but did. That, it's almost as terrifying as going through the experience. Nothing is like that. But the fact that you got to tell. So yes, I carried it in, uh, for nearly 40 years. So I'm sure when I did the work of healing, I know I was in, in North Carolina, I was in my 40s. Wow. I, I know because you touched on this. I know that when they do talk about it in the media, the news and so forth, you know, they don't give us the full background. They don't give us all of that. And they don't go back and find out you know, well, maybe some of them do, but we don't see that on the national news. Let me just no. put it to you like that. It may be on local news. Like, right. where are they now? What are they doing now? Yes. And so they don't show that positive aspect. And I just, the work that you're doing, even in the writing of this book, even with your own foundation organization is much needed, much powerful. And so I'm going to ask you now at this point to go into all of that wonderful stuff you're doing. In addition, how does sharing your story today about writing this book help others? And, and tell us about all of the other wonderful things you're doing in addition to writing this book. I'm sorry, my printer has a mind of its own. Um, so, so that our viewers know, this is the raw footage. So this is gonna go as is. <laughs> That's okay. We don't uh, you know what, I, I consider is. myself go a ahead, very natural. It, you know, and I'm glad that you 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 say that because you know this is real. Yeah, this real. is you. Um, so, in response to your question around um, the work that I do now, mm -hmm. uh, healing, I established Healing Waters Global in 2011. I was actually um, studying for my um, doctorate in ministry at United Theological Seminary, and so my model for my thesis was Healing Waters Global. And I came to establish that because, again, as I just said earlier, I did not want anyone that I came in contact to have to go that many years of being silent. So the thesis is about breaking your silence, women and girls, and being able to tell your story. Right. Um, and so we we established it in 2011. I graduated in 2015. Now. In the during that time, we found that if a woman is if her partner does not disclose to her that she is HIV positive or he is HIV positive and that person becomes HIV positive, that's a form of sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. And all the work that I've done, I never knew that that would be the case. So that's why we also serve women and girl, women who are affected by HIV. So Healing Waters Global was the way for me to now, I mean, before that I, I had many opportunities where I, I disclosed my story in public but it was always away from my family. 
It was a safe space for me in New York, you know, at a church and this kind of thing, doing workshops. And I worked in the women's prison, so I was able to 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 kind of hint to it, you know, because I worked with the women in maximum security. So fast forward to today, 2015, that was when I wrote my thesis and got my doctorate. But two years ago, because 2015 has been a while, two years ago, it, it kind of came in my spirit that I should turn the, the, the thesis into a book. And in doing so, it just expanded to more, I mean, patriarchy is throughout the text, but it then it was almost like God was saying, listen, this is bigger than just, you gotta see why this is all happening. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, we all know in the field, we know that it's that sexual terrorism, sexual violence against women is about control. Mm -hmm. It's about power, okay? And then the, the whole patriarchy piece is there. So I write about that throughout the book how we got, how we, how did we get here to this place mm -hmm. where it's normalized and it's romanticized and it's in the media and that America is an unadmitted rape culture, right? Because we well, got you know, video. All the way back to slavery. You know, and I, I, be I, a whole, that's a whole nother controversial. It is. <laughs> and I wanted to share with you some information um, on that. It's in the book we, though. Yes. Yeah. The connection, the um, intersection between racism and, and sexual violence. And yes. Sexual yes. And so yeah. with that being said, Dr. Mitchell, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being a guest on our show, on this show, on my show. <laughs> it is a pleasure to have you. Thank you for all the gems that you've dropped. Thank you for sharing your own personal story, your own personal experience. And also thank you for the work, the research, I mean, that you've done and your dedication and hard work. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me. And I hope you invite me back. There's so much more in this book that's full <laughs> of rich nuggets and truth. Well, we will have to, our listeners and viewers will have to stay tuned to find out. But I do want to say this. Once again, this is my disclosure. Our podcast is videoed and audio live. And we do not edit out any of, if any of what you have seen, we don't edit it out. It is the raw footage. We try to make sure that you don't have those when we're taping, but life happens. So I just wanted to put that disclosure mm -hmm. out there. So next Can week, I just offer one quick thing. Sure. My website and my, um, and the website for my book. Sure. Okay. Thank you. Um, the website for my book is drrenita, B-R-E-N-I-T-A.com. So that's drrenita.com. And there you can, we have pre-orders for the book and you can hear, listen to an audio introduction and you know, you can, you can then see what, what the book is all about. Also, Healing Waters Global. The website is www.healingwatersglobal.org. And that's where you see all of our services, everything that we do. You'll see galleries of the women with faces of joy. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait till you publish your book. I am, I'm, as everybody knows, I'm an author too. So I'm excited about it. So I'm going to tell all of our listeners and viewers, be sure to go to her website. Um, also, if you are in need of any service due to sexual terrorism, be sure to go to her website. And so with that being said, be sure to, her, um, she's pre-selling her book. Yes, so be sure to go ahead and get your copy before it drops. 
Her forthcoming book will be available in March, paperback and Kindle editions, Sexual Terrorism, Women Trapped in Silence, Domination, Power, and Control. Thank you again, Dr. Mitchell. Next week, oh, you're welcome. (laughs) Next week, we'll continue to discuss controversial topics about race and have conversations about personal and professional experiences with racism, loss, love, employment, and education. Stories that need to be shared, seen, and heard that makes us human. The truth will not be silenced. To be seen, to be heard, (laughs) and to be human. The surprise, following the link in the show notes, let's Buzzsprout know we sent you and help support our show. Buzzsprout is the best way to launch a professional podcast. Want to ask a question, be a guest, or subscribe to this podcast, The Truth Will Not Be Silenced? Click on the show link. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time and we we will hear you or you will hear us next time. Thank you.